Here we go. All of my all of my Excel students know if you're new tonight, just flow with us. On a Thursday night, Excel, I said, hey yo! Yeah. I'm just making sure you're awake. Hey, if you are new tonight, can you just raise your hand? If you're just if it's your first time tonight, it ain't your first time. Yeah, Sarah, I see Sarah in the back. I, hey, I got you two right there. I got keychains. You just gonna snatch from from my homie? Hey, I got you another one. There we go. I'm sorry. If you hey, if you are new tonight, I just want to say welcome. Hey, I've got some friends in the house. I've got pastors. I've got Sierra and Luke. Come on, just stand. Just stand. I got, I got my friends here. They're coming all the way from all over Illinois just to come hang out with us. Y'all are engaged, right? How, are you sure? Because you hesitated. Okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> How long y'all been engaged? Yeah, is that right? Is it? Okay. <laughs> That's a test. You got to know these things. I've been married for nine years. Nine years? Right? How long have we been married, Duke? It, is it? Oh, she don't know. All right. All right, so I guess we're going back to King of Hearts, a relationship. No, I'm just playing. Um, guys, can you give it up? I know he's in the house. Can you give it up for Pastor Jason for last week's panel? Yay, yay. I heard it was awesome. Uh, I got to go hang out in Carlinville, Illinois, down there. Uh, Ariel, Pastor Ariel and I got to do a panel for students that feel called into ministry, and I'll just plug called college. I'll just plug the ministry. Uh, I believe there's students in this room, and maybe you know it yet or don't know it yet, but God is calling you to the ministry. God is calling you to vocational ministry, whether that looks like kids, missions, worship, tech, life pro, you know, women's, men's ministries, whatever, benevolence. God is calling you, and us as your leaders want to know that. We want to help steward that in your life become a spiritual father and a spiritual mother to you and disciple you. So that's awesome. Okay, last night I was with Pastor Hayden Lindsay. He's a youth pastor out in Bolingbrook. We had an awesome time. I got some of the leaders with me. It was really fun, really, really fun. Uh, they did like camp games. And so like I didn't know that that's like a thing, that people do the camp games. And that's basically practice for a camp. And I'm like, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should boardwalk around this entire room. All right. Hey, can I get into the word tonight? Can I get into the word? Look at your neighbor and say, are you ready? Look at the other neighbor and just go. Yeah, hey. She, I don't know. What's this? What's, she just did this to me. That's weird. Rule number one. Don't be weird. All right. Hey, have you ever tried really hard at something? Like really, really hard. Maybe like you, like you, like like you baked something that you were like, I really want to bake this kind of cake, you know. Like and and it comes out the oven and it's awful, right? It's kind of disappointing. Disappointing. Like I don't bake. Or maybe how about this? If you are like a good studier, like you study like weeks in advance, raise your hand. Just like if you are a studier, this happened last night too. There was like three people. All right, yeah, like. I am that person that, like, I want to work hard, and I want to make sure I pass the test. Not just pass the test, right, because these de get degrees, but, I, you know, I want an A, right? I want an A. And uh, so I'll study for, like, weeks. I'll study for days. Now, there are some people, I'm going to have you raise your hand so that I can hate you, is if you are the person that studies the night before and still gets a really good grade, raise your hand. Okay, I officially want to fight every single one of you. I will fight you outside. I can't do, you do that? I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't study the night before, right, and then expect to pass a test. Because you just, I just need to hold the L. Is that what you're giving me? This guy's giving me a, all right, we can fight, bet. It's a skill. I can't do that. All right, I want to share a very, a very personal story. Can I get real with y'all? Can I get something off my chest? Lucia, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, see, it was. You, yeah, it's her name. I, I, I have a grudge that I've been needing to get off my chest for a few years, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally get off my chest tonight. When I was in fourth grade, yeah, all the way back there, fourth grade, 
I had the honor and privilege of representing my class in an all-school science fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Science fair. Do y'all still do science fairs? No? So back in my day, I'll fight you. We had science fair projects where people would pick a type of topic or project, create a thesis and all this stuff, and then present it, you know, for an award. Does, anybody, does that sound familiar to anybody? Like the volcano, right? Everybody always wanted to do a volcano solar system. Not me. I was like, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. This is going to be amazing. So I went up to my mom, who is an overachiever. I was like, Mama, what's good? How's it going? I didn't actually say that because uh, she slapped me. She, I was like, I got a science fair project. I, I want to win. She goes, okay, we're going to win this. I was like, all right, Mom, I feel you. let's do this. My project, I didn't go into detail last night but because I got the time, and this is my youth ministry. I'm going to do it. So I wanted to test a theory. Of, I, had this, I built this ramp, and I had the same Hot Wheel car. And I wanted to test with the same Hot Wheel car the speed and slash velocity and travel distance of different types of terrain. This is fourth grade. I'm a genius. I was like, sand, grass, gravel, right? And like something like smooth, like hardwood. I mean, my mom had all these different like strips. So it's this big old project, right? And then so like I would line it up kind of like a boxcar and then I would let it go down and then all my, you know, cars would go and I would create this. So it was amazing. My mom like did up the board. Honestly, I just watched my mom do this to be real with you. Some of y'all are like that. Some of y'all get into group projects and you watch everybody else do the work and then you're up there for the presentation like, And then, like, they don't trust you to say anything. Like, just hold the board, man. Just use the clicker. Click thing. Click the PowerPoint. Use the clicker. So I, 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 I prepare. I work super hard at this. I'm like, all right, I'm going to win. The day of the science fair arrives. Dawn breaks. Birds are chirping. I stretch. I put on my, my socks, my clothes. I ride my bike to school, right, because it was in Florida. I had to ride my, I lived in Cocoa. Do y'all know where Cocoa is? Not Cocoa Beach, Cocoa is ghetto. Um, I live in a trailer, true story. And so I ride my bike, got all my stuff. This is amazing. I was like, this is awesome. I, I'm literally Bill Nye, the science guy, but short and brown. And so not. So I present, and I don't know how I do, because you got these snobby, like, like older people just going, like, with a clipboard, just, what is your thesis? And I'm like, Hello. My name is Israel Marty. It's good to see you today. Welcome. Welcome to the Hot Wheel Project. (laughs) I felt like, I felt like, uh, (laughs) I felt like I was presenting the new iPhone, right? Like, I felt like I was doing a TED Talk. I said, welcome. This is going to be an experience for you. You're welcome. And so I, I go through what I'm supposed to do. I explain everything. I feel great. I'm like, I won this. As a fourth grader to win the science fair, I don't know how much street cred that was going to give me, but who knows? I won. They didn't, right? So they start naming off, like, what place people got. And to my surprise, I'm in, like, the top three. I'm like, well, not my surprise. Kind of not my surprise. I'm like, okay, top three. I, I'm there. It's happening. I can see the crown on my head. I can see the victory royale. This is going to be amazing. And then I get called for like second place and I was like time out what do you mean what do you mean I just lost right little squeaky Izzy pastor Izzy what do you mean we lost right so I'm holding back the tears because I'm furious because all all the hard work that I my mom did right I'm like wow I didn't lose what is this I lost I don't remember her name. I think her name was Shannon. I don't remember her name. All right. But Shannon sounds like a science fair stealer award winner name. No, it's, it wasn't Shannon. I lost to a girl whose whole project was how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Lost to a girl that for a whole week, all she did was this. There were pictures of her licking the lollipop. 
There were three flavors. As if the three flavors were going to give her a different outcome. Three flavors. And they just lit. And then literally her board was her licking. And then because at nighttime she obviously can't lick in her sleep, I would have found a way because I'm a champion. She like puts, she like had pictures. This is the dumbest project in the world. She like would put the lollipop on like a plate and put it in the fridge. Like that was it. It was like a picture of like lollipops on a plate in the fridge. And I lost. How many licks does it take to get to the center? I don't care. I don't care. I was so mad. She won off of just like pure funniness because, oh, it's a commercial. I, I don't, I was so mad. I was heartbroken. So imagine poor, poor Pastor Minnie Izzy. Well, I'm still kind of mini, but I'll fight you. But poor, poor Pastor Izzy, fourth grade. I destroyed my project. I was so mad. I, was, I went off. Riding my bike home, really sad. My, my nice neon bike, just super sad. I get home, feeling like a complete and total failure. I thought my mom was going to go off on me in Spanish and tongues and whatever. She was going to go off. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to get home. I don't want to go home. I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm over it, all right? I'm just done. I'm running away, right? I hate you, Shannon, right? Like, whatever. I thought my mom was going to be so mad because the time, the money, the energy. But when I told her that I had lost, my mom gave me the biggest hug. She told me she was proud of me. I, she's like, you're not a failure. I was like, Mom, I'm a failure. This is fourth grade. Why am I saying this stuff to myself? I was. There was a lot of pressure in fourth grade, okay? All right? We didn't have cell phones, all right? I don't know. what has, That has nothing to do with anything. I thought my mom was going to be super disappointed, but she wasn't. She welcomed me. She, she told me I wasn't a failure. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a certain story that we've seen over and over again in the Bible. When I was in Carlinville at Spring Retreat uh, in one of the worship services, the Lord spoke to me and gave me three words. But tonight, I want to introduce you to tonight's message. It's called, Failure is Not Final. Failure is not final. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, because I truly believe God spoke to me in this message for me. Like, sometimes I'll be, like, I know the, the content, and I know the story, and I preach for you, but the Lord spoke to me in this message. Failure, say failure, is not final. I love what it says. It's from failure to forgiveness. How many of us have failed? A class? <laughs> we all have failed at something. And I wanted to ask the Lord, Lord, what do we do when that happens? What do you and I do when it happens? And we see in John chapter 21, verse 1 through 12, we see what happens when a certain disciple fails. The disciples at this point have just spent three years with Jesus, their best friend, BFF for life. Jesus. Jesus. Three years. Three years go by, and then all of a sudden, the king himself, the Messiah, Savior of the world, what happens? He dies. He dies. He, that doesn't end there, okay? Spoiler alert, right? I didn't even finish the season. Just... It's been out for a while, guys, right? <laughs> it's been out for a while. Like, it's not my fault. I didn't ruin the show, right? Jesus dies. He gets raised to life, okay? But he dies. And what people don't realize that, like, the disciples, this was kind of their job. Following Jesus was a full-time job for them. And so in that time, in that era, what happens is they get paid and they survive and they eat and they sleep off of the generosity of people. Right? Like, Jesus does miracles. People want to make sure Jesus' ministry continues. So what do they do? They, like, donate money. Right? Be the light. Right? Missions. They give money to Jesus. So when Jesus dies, what happens to these disciples? They lose their job. They lose their income. They, lose, they lost their best friend. They lost vision and mission. And now, all of a sudden, they don't know what they're going to do. So three years. For what? For their best friend to die? Now what? So we see in this moment, they have a decision to make. And so leading up to 
John chapter 21, Jesus shows up. So again, spoiler, Jesus like is raised to life. You're like, ha Jesus is alive. Let's go. And he's, he visits the disciples three times. Three times. The first two, right, reveals himself to them and Mary. And then second time, he's like, Thomas, what's wrong with you? I am alive. Touch this. Isn't that weird? Gross. Feel the nails in my hand, right? The holes in my hand. Now this is the third time. Can I talk to you about the third time tonight? Peter tonight has a decision to make. What does Peter do? What do they do? What do they choose to do when all of a sudden they feel like Jesus has failed them? They feel like they've failed Jesus, especially Peter. What do they decide to do? They choose to go back to the place that Jesus brought them out from. They choose to go back. Tonight, I want to talk about the third time Jesus appears. So if you're ready to read, say, "Uh uh-huh. If you're ready to read, say, oh, yeah. If you don't have a Bible, I got one on the sky. It's called a sky Bible. So here we go. Throw up the next slide if you can. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. By the way, pause. How petty is that for a second? Like seven out of the 11 disciples now, because Judas, you know, he snitched and now he's dead, right? Like, he couldn't just name them. Like, if I'm one of the other two disciples, I'm like, time out. You can't even put my name in there, John? Let's fight. Anyways, moving on. We're together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Next slide. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, I'm a grown man, children, children, do you have any fish? They answered him with all the attitude and frustration in the body. They say, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because all of the quantity of fish. Next slide. That, that disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way, John, he's, he's referring to himself here. Okay, John. Therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work, weird, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat. Okay. So he's like, Jesus! He's uh, just... He went for it. Amen. David Phelps. The other disciples came in the boat. They're like, okay. And Peter's like swimming right next to him because he's slow, right? For they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Next slide. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. 153 of them. That's a lot of fish. Fishy, fishy. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Any breakfast people? Yeah. Some of y'all don't eat breakfast and you're missing out. I'm telling you. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because why? They knew that it was the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, not mine. I didn't write it. You wrote it. So don't allow me to preach in a way that you didn't intend. Pray, Father, that because your word is life, because it is you, that you would breathe on us tonight, Lord, your breath of life. You would reveal these truths to us because, Lord, you said it yourself. The truth sets us free. So tonight, God, move us from failure to forgiveness. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, all right, so back to Peter. I want to focus on him. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter lost his best friend. Peter lost hope. Peter lost a lot in this. Now, if you've ever lost a loved one, you know, I have. You know, so my birthday is tomorrow. I'm going to be 30 years old. Yeah, now I'm going to, like, be awkward. My dad died a week before my birthday. It's okay. I know where he's at. So, like, knowing that I've lost somebody, like, I don't want to do anything. I want to be around people. I don't want to... 
I don't want to talk to anybody. I just, I want to do something that's familiar. I want to do something that doesn't take a lot of thinking, doesn't take a lot of action, and really nothing new. I just want to, just want to do me. So Peter lost hope, and really what happened is he wasn't sure of what direction that needed to go. So he went back to what he knew. You see, Excel, you and I have a problem. Okay, this problem is that when you and I don't feel God, when things don't go our way, when we lose sight of Jesus, you and I tend to go back to what he brought us out from. We do it all the time today. Some of us today. So a little background on Peter real quick. So you're like, dang, like what ha- what what's making Peter be so distressed? What's making Peter be so upset? Like he just spent three years with Jesus and all of a sudden he's done. He's just out. Just deuces? He's going fishing? That doesn't make sense. A little background on Peter. Peter denied Jesus publicly three times after he told Jesus he wasn't going to. Peter, like, Jesus, I'm ride or die. I'm day one. I'm, I'm wherever you go, I'm going with you. Take over the world, Jesus. Me and you. He's like, pause. You're going to deny me. You're going to tell people that you don't even know me. No, nah, Jesus. Cap, I'm with you always. You're in my Instagram bio. I'm with you. I post about you. No, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And sure enough, sure enough, while Jesus is being taken away, Peter denies that he even knew Jesus. The pressure's on now. Now he feels, now he feels awful. This is humiliating, Right? This is a humiliating defeat, and I know I can almost see that it's still looming in the back of his mind and echoing still in the halls of his heart. Peter is a failure. He failed. That's, I mean, it's not like he forgot to charge Jesus' iPad when he was going to go preach, right? That's an accident. This is a failure. You just denied the Son of Man. You denied the Messiah, the person that you said you would die for, and now you're saying you don't know him. This is a failure. He has come to a place where he can't forgive himself. And so what does he do? What does he do? He returns to the boat. Look at verse three. What does he say? I'm going fishing. I'm, I am going fishing. I'm out. I don't know if Jesus is who he says he is anymore. I'm confused. I'm out. I'm going back. And what, what do they say with him? We will go with you. Check this out. Because a lot of us think that our sin just affects us, and it doesn't. Your sin doesn't just affect you. Your failure doesn't just affect you. There's splash damage. There's, there's area damage. When you fail, it's not just your life. It's the people that's connected to you. Friends, family, parents, teachers, coworkers, teammates. Right, if you've ever been on a sports team, if you if you miss a shot, if you miss a touchdown, like that's it doesn't just affect you, it affects the whole team. You drop a pass, man, like those are yards you needed. So if you've ever been on a team, you kind of know, like, man, like if I fail, it's not just me, it's it's everyone. Everyone gets affected. But see, check this out. Some of you tonight are being validated by your friends because they feel you. Some of you are like, I'm going fishing, and because your friends are like, you know what, I understand. I understand. I'm going to validate you in this hurt and in this pain. And you know what? Instead of, instead of calling them out of that, like, hey, no, like God's, God, God's got you. He believes in you. He's got a plan for you. He doesn't think you're a failure. Instead of encouraging Peter, what do they say? We're going with you. Your failure, your sin doesn't just affect you, it affects the people around you. And there are some of you tonight that you are a leader. And you don't need Pastor Easy to, like, make you go through the discipleship course to say that you're a leader. There are some of you in this room that lead almost more than me. And people are watching you. They're watching how you pray or how you don't pray. They're watching how you worship or how you sit in your seat with your arms crossed. They're watching how you interact with people. Or your lack of. It's not, we, talk, we talked about this, right? We talked about this in our influencer series. It's not if you are an influencer, it's what kind of influencer are you? And so you need to be aware. The future of this youth ministry is sitting in these seats. 
the future leaders of this youth ministry are sitting in these seats. What kind of leader are you going to be? What kind of leader are you going to be? Look what happens when they return to the life that Jesus called them out from. Watch what happens. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Say nothing. Say nada. Say nothing. They caught. That's frustrating. Like, Peter's like, if there's one thing I at least cannot suck at, it's fishing. Right? Like, it's kind of not even up to me either. It's like, I just put bait out there and the fish wants to eat, they eat. Right? It's kind of just like a brainless thing unless you're a competitive fisher. Right? It's like, I'm, I'm just going to, and, and then nothing. I caught nothing. He caught nothing. And there's some of you tonight, real talk, listen up, that you've sat in this service You've sat in service after service, and you feel nothing, and you see nothing, and you understand nothing, and it's because of it you feel like you failed at this whole Christian thing. Like, Pastor Izzy, I've been coming here my whole life, or I just started coming here, and I don't understand really what's happening. Part of that's me. Part of that's me being better at explaining how God moves in a room and 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 the Bible better and our leaders getting into your life to explain some of these things. But some of you sit here and you feel like an awful or a failure of a Christian because you just don't feel or see or understand anything. You're saying this whole Christian thing, I, I just don't know if I get it. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to the place where Jesus found me. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go fishing. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been saved for a while, right? But the past few months, this past year has been pretty rough on you, right? Maybe your parents have been fighting again. You've experienced the loss in your family. The list can go on, right? And you're wondering, like, you hear the church say, Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus delivers. Jesus is a friend of mine. If you know that video. And you're like, yeah, but where is he? And you start to think, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is. And I feel like Peter... In this moment, I feel like I feel like going back because at least I understood what I was doing then. If he can't help me, then I'll just try to help myself. I've said that. I know some of you have. You've decided to go back to the place where Jesus found you. What is what is the result? What is the result of all this? Right. We say that they caught what? So what will you find if you go back to that way of living? Nothing. Nothing. The answer is nothing. You will catch nothing, and it will only bring you more hurt, pain, and frustration. Here's the deal. My heart for you tonight, which is the next slide, God spoke this so clearly to me. And, and this is definitely a word for those of you that have been a follower of Jesus recently or for a while. But he gave me three words sitting in Carlinville. He says, don't go back. Write it down. Because you need this reminder. I need this reminder as pastor. When I feel like I'm not doing good in ministry, when I feel like I'm a horrible husband, a horrible dad, a horrible soldier, horrible man, a failure of whatever, we all face this temptation to go back. And in that worship service, in a moment of weakness, I, I, I have questions, right? I'm just as human as you. And the Lord said, hey, son, don't, don't go back. And I want you to tell, I want you to tell them, don't go back. Say, don't go back. Don't go back to that relationship. It was toxic and abusive. Don't go back to that relationship. Y'all didn't break up. He delivered you. Y'all didn't break up. It wasn't because he cheated, although he probably did or she it wasn't because y'all just fought all the time and just weren't compatible. God delivered you from that. Don't go back. That guy, he's a boy. He's insecure. He's not ready to take care of somebody else because he can't take care of himself. Ladies, don't go back. Don't go back. Fellas, that girl is going to put everything in you when she needs to find everything in him. And because of that expectation on you, they will never be satisfied. Their worth is going to end up being in you, and you're broken. Fellas, don't take on that responsibility that was never meant to be yours. Don't go back. 
Don't go back to that. Some of the mindsets and the attitudes that God has delivered you from, depression, anxiety, stress, anger issues, right? Like you didn't just work that out. He delivered you. Don't go back. Don't go back to that. That way of living, the drinking, the smoking, the sleeping around. Don't go back. For some of you, that temptation is alive and well. That temptation is there. Everything God has for you is in front of you. It's in front of you. Pastor Joey said this, and I don't know where he got it from, but he said the rear view mirror is smaller, right, than the front windshield. That's because where you're going is way more important than where you were. Where you are going is more important than where you were. God delivered you. He saved you. He saved you from the image that you thought you needed to be. The insecurities that every time you looked in the mirror, you didn't like what you see. And now you've kind of gotten to a place where you're getting a little bit more confidence through Jesus. Don't go back. Don't go back to the app. Don't go back to that app. Whatever that app is for you, don't go back. Don't go back to that website. Don't go back. Don't go back. Say, don't go back. Students, don't. I know there's some of you right now asking the question, and this is what kind of broke me because it was me sitting in your seat. Some of you, you have not gone back. You're not in the boat. But there's a lot of us here tonight, and you're asking, Pastor, what, what if I already have? What if I find myself 100 yards off of the shore in the middle of the boat of my life, in the middle of the waters and the situations of my life, trying to catch something that I know won't fulfill me? What do I do if I'm already back there? What do I do? And I, I remember sitting in that room and it just slapped me in the face because I've been there. I've made the decision. You know what? I'm done too. I'm going to go back. I'm over it. Let's take a look at the rest of the story because those of you that have gone back and you find yourself in the boat out in the water trying to figure out what your life is, who Jesus is, who you are, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, and not just because of anything else other than that the Word says this and that I've truly lived this, there is hope for you tonight. There is hope. You will not be left out in the water. He's calling you. Let's read this. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5 says this. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him. Everybody say it. Jesus asked them, y'all catch anything? And they're like, who is this fool asking us? We just been out here all night. Because remember, they didn't recognize it was Jesus. They just say, no. I like to ask questions when I read the Bible, and I think you should too. If Jesus knows and already knew that they haven't caught any fish because he's Jesus and he's awesome like that. Why did Jesus ask such an annoying question? Because that's annoying, right? Like, how many of you have gone fishing before? Yeah. Like, I've gone fishing. And there have been days, I have proof, there's a picture of my older brother, Pastor Juan, down in Missouri. We were fishing. We caught 43 fish. They were biting. Right? You know what I'm saying? Don't make, a, don't make a meme or a gif out of that where we're recording, right? But there are other days where you get out in the water and you catch nothing. Your line gets caught. Your bait gets snatched. You lose, your, you lose all that stuff and it's, all that money is gone and whatever. Like, and then you, you start driving. You see other people that catch, you know, fish. Like you're in your boat just, right, with your annoyed, and you see other people with fish, and then what's the stupid question they ask you? Did y'all catch? No. Mind your business. Go somewhere else. Why are you taking up all the fish, right? For real. So it's an annoying question. So, so why did Jesus ask 
Did y'all catch anything? If he already knew that they didn't catch anything. Watch this. Y'all ready for this? Because this is good. I really like this. Chuck Smith, who's a commentator, says this. Number one, why did Jesus ask? Because he wanted confession of failure. Why are we afraid of confessing failure? Because the second we bring it to words and we bring it to out of our mouth, when we bring it into the world, what it makes our failure real. And so we don't want to confess failure because if it comes out of my mouth, well, then it's true. I don't like to confess things because it makes me feel bad, and so I'm just not going to do it. Listen, that feeling bad, that's called conviction. And that's not a negative thing. The devil wants nothing more than for you to take conviction and be afraid of it. What's conviction? It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, red flag, what you're doing is not who God intended you to be. It's not healthy for you. This is a good thing. And so he's asking disciples, I know you didn't catch any fish. I know you've been sleeping around. I know you smoke weed. I know you do this. I I can go down the list, right? I know you do this. I know you do that. But you need to confess it out of your mouth. Why? It's going to bring it to the light. It's called releasing. You've got all these failures just bottled up in your heart, bottled up in your mind. And sometimes you feel like, if I mess up one more time, I'm going to explode. He wants them to confess. He wants them to bring it out. Because when you bring it out, he can deal with it. Right? I think Pastor Joey Joey said, don't quote me on this, but he can only heal what you reveal. Right? Number two. Right? He asked me a question because before he gives us an abundant supply, he wants to make us conscious of our own emptiness. You need to know something tonight. I am, thank you, I feel you, period. Listen, you need to know something tonight. Your life and your heart and your mind, if you go back and if you already are back, you're experiencing, you are just as empty as their nets. Right? Nothing in the nets, didn't catch anything. He wants you to know something. I can supply your needs. I can love you better than he did. I can love you better than she did. I can take care of you better than anybody. I think the best of you always. There is nothing that you can do that can change my mind about you. I think you're awesome. I think you're one of a kind. I think you're special in every kind of way. He's saying, I want you to realize that you're empty and that you're in need of a Savior. You're in need of filling. You're in need of being taken care of. And it's crazy because some people don't want to know if there's a sickness in their body, right? But how, how can they get healed if they don't know there's a sickness? How can they get help if they don't realize they need help, right? Every therapist says it, right? The first, the first step of, you know, you know, getting better is realizing you need to get better, right? It's true. What the devil would love for you to do is think that, like, all those things in your life that you're going back to will fill you. All those things. If you just go back, you'll be fine. Remember how full you were back then? I'm like, time out. I wasn't full at all. You know, it's you know what this type of emptiness is when we think sin fills us? It's that, you know, have you ever been so hungry, but you, you're so hungry that you don't want to eat? And your body almost tricks you into thinking that you just, you just don't, don't want to eat. You just can't eat. That's this. That's what sin does. It tricks you. It tricks you. So he wants to, he wants to an abundant supply an abundant supply. But you have to realize tonight that you are empty and you need help. Students and leaders and me. Jesus knows you. He knows you better than anybody else. And he knows where to find you. And he has come to meet you where you're at here tonight. Right here in this moment. Jesus has come to meet you in the midst of your failure in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your situations, the things that seem hopeless, Jesus has come to meet you. If I could have the band come up. We have to respond to this. I'm going to respond to this. 
I'm going to. I would hope that you would follow me as I follow Christ in this moment. Because I am tempted to go back all the time. Some of you have had sleepless nights. You have not slept in days. You have not slept. You haven't had a good night's sleep in a while. Because you've been out on the boat in the waters of your life trying to make sense of it all. Hoping and wishing you catch something that helps. Or, sometimes what I do, something that numbs the pain. One of my favorite poets says this. The only thing worse than feeling pain is feeling nothing. And some of you, like, I'm done with pain. I'd rather just be numb. And I, I just know that there's some people here tonight, and that's you right now. You're like, I'm numb. I don't feel anything, Pastor Izzy. I tried listening. My favorite worship song, nothing. I tried, I tried everything. I tried, I just don't feel anything. And I honestly, I'm at my, my ropes and I feel numb tonight. In this story, we see Jesus standing on the shore, inviting his friends to come back to him. Friends, family, Jesus is on the shore. You've toiled all night. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, though the sorrows may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. And if you're like me, you've had some rough nights. Rough nights, nights full of tears, nights full of questions. That's full of anger and frustration. You see, as dawn begins to break, when all hope almost seemed lost, as the sun is rising, you see the sun calling. Though the sorrows may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Day breaks, and there's Jesus standing on the shore. The Holy Spirit's in this room right now. Fast forward a little bit. Peter and John recognize that it's Jesus, their best friend. Peter puts on his robe and jumps into the water and swims to Jesus. And what does he see? What, what kind of Jesus does Peter see? It kind of reminds me of me when I came home riding my bike after my science fair project, I didn't know what kind of mom I was going to walk into. I didn't know she was going to be mad, disappointed, whatever. What does Peter see when he gets onto his feet and is running, sopping wet to Jesus? Does he see Jesus standing there scowling, disappointed at him? Does he find Jesus with his arms crossed, foot tapping, saying, Peter, you should have known better. I told you what you were going to do, and you did it anyway. I'm not here to make you breakfast. I'm here to tell you what's up. Why are you here? Why are you fishing? Did I not call you to be a fisher of men? Did I not send you? This is a mistake. Who, who do you think you are? Does he find that kind of Jesus? And the reality is tonight, our failures like to make this type of Jesus real in our hearts and in our minds. We think, man, every time I fail, every time I sin, if I were to go and meet Jesus, you know what I'm going to meet? I'm going to meet a very disappointed Jesus. And I, my parents are already disappointed in me. I can't have Jesus disappointed in me. I already feel like I'm a disappointment of people. Now, Jesus, I'd rather just stay in the boat. What's the kind of Jesus they find they find Jesus sitting next to a fire. And Jesus offers to make them breakfast. How kind is Jesus? This is the last thing that Peter probably thought Jesus was going to do. 
Jesus is sitting there inviting them in close to him. He's like, I'm not going to give you a sermon. I'm not going to give you three points to write down. This is why you shouldn't have denied me. This is why you shouldn't. He just says, hey, can you just be with me? Can you just be with me? And as they were still eating, Jesus asked Peter a few questions. He asked him the same question three times. That emptiness that we were talking about, that leaves us to a point where we don't want to eat. I can almost picture Peter like, who am I that you would feed me? You want to feed me after all I've done? After all the mistakes I've made, you want to be my friend still? Wow. He's like, yeah, I'm going to make you breakfast. Let's hang out. He asked. So Jesus is the only one that can satisfy you. I've tried. Take my word for it. I've tried. I've tried everything. I've tried. I've tried it. And it didn't work. And you want to know where it left me? Full of pain and anger and violence. Such an angry kid. My dad passes away a week before my birthday. And all the things I could have said and didn't say and all the things I did say, I wish I didn't say, I feel like a failure. And then in college, I don't even graduate because my life spirals out of control. Throwing my life into relationships that were awful and toxic and abusive. Throwing my life into anger and, and, and violence. I mean, just violent thoughts and punching holes in walls and ripping doors off and, and you name it. That's the life that I lived. And I thought it would be sufficient to sustain me, and it wasn't. And I'm here to tell you and encourage you tonight that Jesus is the only one that filled every void in my life. Jesus is the only person that healed me. Jesus is the only person that looked me in the face and said, no matter what you could do or are going to do, I will always, I will always love you. Jesus fed me. He made me breakfast. It's wild. That's the grace of Jesus. I cry because I find myself thinking about it. I'm like, you could have done anything else. You could have abandoned me just like I've abandoned you, but you are here. And you love me and you want to feed me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's the cross. That's the resurrection. You and I were meant to always be empty. You and I were always meant to be in sin. And, and we know that the Bible says that the, that the wages of sin is death, meaning separation fully from God. We were always supposed to be a hundred yards off. There's Jesus over there, unrecognizable. But because of Jesus... Dying on the cross for you and me, for my sins, for my failures, for my decision of going back to the life that he delivered me from. Because he carried those things on the cross. He forgave me. And he doesn't see my failures anymore. He, he doesn't see it in the same way. My mom looked me in the face and called me her son. Said that she was proud of me. It's the same way Jesus is embracing you tonight. Some of you tonight love Jesus, but have found yourself back where you started. I'm here to encourage you tonight that the very place that has brought failure, he has brought forgiveness. The same place that has brought failure, he has brought forgiveness. So he feeds them because he knows failure leaves us empty and weak. So he feeds Peter because we know he doesn't deserve it, but Jesus feeds him anyway. Tonight, despite your failures and flaws, despite your sin, Jesus is on the shore ready to feed you. He's ready to feed you tonight with life, with vision, with mission, with peace, love, joy, understanding, with forgiveness. My last slide is this. Go ahead, show it. The last slide. Jesus, in this story, Replace pain 
with purpose. Because what does he do with Peter? Ask him three questions. He says this. Hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter jumps on this question. He says, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. He's like, all right, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. They keep eating. They're probably chatting. Hey, Peter. Yes, Jesus. Hey, um, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. I, lo- I love you, Jesus. And they keep eating. John pats the fish. Hey, Peter. Yes, Jesus. Hey, um, do you love me? And the Bible says that he gets frustrated at this. It's like hurting. He's like, Jesus, do you, do you not know that I love you? I love you. He goes, then feed my sheep. Three times, three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Jesus forgives and affirms Peter. The slate's clean. The record's cleared. All those times that you have denied and failed Jesus has been cleared through the blood of the cross, through the word, through the testimony of Jesus the Christ. So he replaced pain with purpose. He says, feed my sheep. He replaced misery with mission. He's like, this means you've got to go do something. And now that you're forgiven, go and tell people that they are forgiven. That's why I'm a youth pastor. I'm not a youth pastor to have Instagram reels. I'm not a youth pastor to be an inner city pastor. I'm not a youth pastor because I thought it would be easy. I'm not a youth pastor because I thought it would be hard. I'm a youth pastor because I sat in a seat just like that, and I needed somebody to tell me the truth, that I was forgiven, that I could be changed, that there was a way out for me. My whole life, my whole life, I'm sold out for Jesus. I'm sold out for him, and I will tell everybody that's willing to listen that Jesus loves him. I met my mailman the other day. His name is Bo. He's been working the same neighborhood route for 23 years. He's like, I've seen kids grow up on the street. He noticed my hoodie. I says, what? He says, Jesus loves you. Our XL hoodies. Pre-orders are up. I said, man, that's a... It's a nice hoodie. So yeah, you like it? He goes, yeah, man. God bless you. I was like, well, I'm a youth pastor, man. He goes, man, that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. I said, man, Bo, appreciate you. God loves you. God bless you. Face lit up. I'll tell anybody, my life, I've committed my life to stand before teenagers, to stand before you, to let you know, don't go back. But if you do, Jesus is calling. And finally, he replaces failure with forgiveness. Because why? Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Hi. Failure is not final. I'm going to say it so you really understand because what the enemy loves to do is he loves to make your mistakes permanent. You always be a smoker. It's who you are. You always have the eating disorder. That's just, that's it. Some of these things aren't failures. Just some of the things that we just struggle with. But what Satan loves to do is he loves to make those things like they can't change. Your sin is not a part of you. Some of you tonight, you've allowed your sin to become your identity because you have not let Christ become your identity. You've allowed your failure to be final. And so if we could stand across this place, because we're going to respond to this. All of us, because we're a family, leaders included. A lot of us carry past failures. We carry them. And maybe we've gotten over them, but they're still there. Every year, every year when I get close to my birthday, I think about my dad. If I could just be just raw for a second, 
I felt like I wasn't the best son. My dad and I argued a lot, and I realized it's because we are basically the same person. Every year, the week leading up to my birthday, all those thoughts come back. All those, all those arguments, all those things. And I used to tell, I used to say to myself, I used to tell other people, I don't ever want to be like him. And now, all I want to do is be like him. But I carry some of those failures with me. I see them in my marriage. I see them in my ministry. I see them in my life. I see them in my attitude. And I feel like it's calling me back. And the Lord said, don't go back. But even if you do, I'm calling you from the shore. And I want to feed you. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to do this real quick. And then we're all going to come to the, we're all going to come to the altar. All of us, together. I don't want to make altars optional anymore because I'm passionate about this generation. And I want you to receive this word because it's for you. It is for you. It's for you to respond. But there's some of you here and you have not made a conscious decision to follow Jesus. You've heard about him. You've been to church, but... You personally do not have a relationship with Jesus. Tonight, he's calling you. He loves you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not disappointed in you. And in the same way that he saved me from a life in prison, from a life of, of, of death and disease and violence, it's the same way that he can save you and deliver you tonight. If you want to be saved tonight, through the acceptance of Jesus in your life. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you were to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Christ died and rose again, you would be saved. That's it. There's no give this amount to the church and you're saved. There's no come to excel this many times to be saved. It is if you just say and believe, that's it. You will be changed for the rest of your life and you will start a journey with Jesus that will lead you to joy, peace, all the gifts. So tonight, I'm going to count to three. And if you want to be introduced to Jesus for the first time, for the first time, I want you to just slip up your hand. No one's looking around. Just between you and the Lord. I want you to slip your hand up. One, God loves you. Two, he's absolutely crazy about you. There's nothing that can change that. Three, if that's you, raise your hand. You want to be saved for the very first time tonight. Awesome. All right, so you know what that tells me? That means everybody here knows Jesus. And I knew that was going to happen because I know this word really is for those of us that knew Jesus once and just like Peter, we denied him a few times. What song are we singing? Do we know? Love it. They're going to sing here in the next few minutes. I'm going to pray. I'm calling you to respond. I want you to come down to this altar, and if you need to get on your knees, do it. And I want you to have him and allow God to replace your failures with his forgiveness. Some of you need to forgive yourself because he's forgiven you, but you need to forgive yourself. The Holy Spirit is here. Leaders, let's lead the way. Lord, as I pray, even now, even now, if you feel like you need to come to the front and respond, do it as I pray. Lord, You're here. I know your presence is here. I know that there's some of us in this room that we've been carrying past hurt. We've been carrying failures, and we've allowed it to just consume our lives. Lord, we don't want to carry it anymore. We know that you can be the lifter of those burdens. You can be the forgiver of our hearts, forgiver of our sins. And so, Lord, in this moment, we choose you. And so, God, we posture our hearts before you. And we say, Lord, we know our failure isn't final. We know that you have so much more for us. And for some of us, God, we need to ask you for forgiveness. Because what we're taking part of outside of this church, we know that it's sin. We know that it's not good. We know that it's not for you. And so, Lord, if there's students and leaders here that need to ask for your forgiveness, that need to repent, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would have your way tonight and let it be so. Pour out your grace on every student, every leader in this place as we respond to you.
Let's respond. Come on, let's go. Come on, out of your seat. Come on, find a place up front. Find a place on the sides. Come on, I know that there's more of you that need to respond to this. There's more of you that need to respond. There's all of us. We all need to respond to this. I'm going to respond to this. Yeah, let's sing. As they sing.